Coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast, if you listen to this podcast, you know one of the things I say a lot is to appreciate greatness. And you don't have to be a LeBron James fan or a Lakers fan. You just have to be a basketball or a sports fan to appreciate what LeBron James has done in his career. And it was culminated last night with an incredible moment between him and Kareem and everything that happened as LeBron becomes the all-time scoring leader in the NBA. We also talked about Kyrie Irving, the NBA All-Star Game, Tom Brady's retirement, and a whole bunch of stuff before we get ready for Super Bowl 57 on Sunday. All that and a whole lot more coming up next on the Rami Lovey Podcast. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 133. And I'm always amazed how this happens, how it's Pro Bowl week and it feels like there's nothing to talk about. And I was doing sports updates and also working on Glenn Clark radio last week here in Baltimore um, and had a lot of hours to fill and topics to discuss. And it feels like there's nothing to talk about. And then usually it's the NBA, but there always feels like something just comes along and gets our attention and the NBA and the NFL this time created a lot of storylines. So in the last week and a half since I've spoken to you guys, uh, there's been a lot. So I'm going to split. This is not going to be the last episode that I do before the Super Bowl. um, That's for sure. So we're going to have another episode, obviously, on Friday. Today is the Wednesday episode. Today is Wednesday. Uh, It's February 8th. And I think the number one story today is LeBron James, and it should be LeBron James, because LeBron James is a top two NBA athlete of all time, probably, and he is probably the greatest, not probably, he's the greatest basketball player I have ever seen, and I can say that with confidence, and 
people who listen to this podcast know that maybe I'm not the biggest LeBron guy. I've always said that I actually do love LeBron, and that's why sometimes he frustrates me. That's how I've looked at LeBron James. So last night, LeBron in LA gets the record against the Oklahoma City Thunder. He becomes the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. First of all, he pushed off on that shot. Just kidding. Um, it was also interesting watching it develop. Like that, He knew he wanted to get that shot. So you kind of think everyone, right, because there was so much made of Kareem did it with the sky hook. So it was like, what is a LeBron signature shot? What can he do? Was it a three-pointer? Was it him driving to the rim and throwing it down? And I think at this point of his career, if you think back to the series against Toronto and you think back, obviously, to the shot he had against Washington and some of the biggest LeBron moments over the last few years, it's been that turnaround jumper. And so I think that that was the shot he wanted. And I know he wanted to get that shot because on the previous uh, possession on the way down he tried to get that same shot and then ultimately he passed the ball because it was well defended but once he got to his spot kind of like on the elbow next to the free throw line just outside the paint and he starts backing down the defender and he turns and he makes the shot um, it seemed like a relief it seemed like he wanted to get it last night um, and it was the second to biggest story in the NBA last night Eight minutes before LeBron actually got the scoring record, Shams Charnia tweeted out that Jericho Sims will be added to the roster for uh, the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. So that's fun. Um, now, but I'm kidding. I'm just joking. I, look, I didn't think he was going to go for it last night. And this is a big thing. LeBron is not the type of guy. He needed 36 points. He's not a guy who chases points. And it's what's so incredible about LeBron in his career. And we'll talk about this as we go through this. But he is not a scorer per se, and now he's the greatest scorer of all time. And that is what's so incredible. I always say appreciate greatness, appreciate what you're watching. This guy who is not a scorer, he's a pass first guy. He's a do what's best for the team. He is also now the greatest scorer ever or the most prolific scorer ever who scored the most points. And last night, I wasn't watching the beginning of the game, the first quarter and a half and I was like yeah he's gonna get 22 tonight and then he'll do it on Thursday against the Bucks you know he'll milk this a little bit longer this is what he likes and then I saw a highlight on Twitter and I saw him wearing the headband and I was like oh he's getting it tonight like when he put on the headband and by the way he should wear the headband always but when he put on the headband I was like oh okay he's going for it and then when I turned on the game it wasn't the same LeBron. It was a different LeBron than we've seen maybe at any point in his career other than a couple of those finals games against the Warriors with KD once he didn't even have Kyrie anymore. And I guess that series against Toronto also where it was like, I need to score X amount of points in order for us to even have a chance in these games. And those were the type of games when it was like, LeBron could do this every single night. He could go out and score 50 every single night. And the fact that he doesn't and the fact that he plays a team game that lends itself more to winning is what's so incredible about LeBron. And last night, watching that, watching that every time they came up the floor with the ball, everyone was looking for LeBron and trying to get him the ball and trying to get him the shots other than Westbrook, which is a whole other story. And we'll talk about that in a second, maybe. It was something different than I've seen my entire life in a LeBron James basketball game, him just going for it. And it just reminds you that he can go for it when he really wants to. 
Um, now on defense, he was exerting zero effort and he was not playing at all. He was kind of, he wasn't even taking anyone. He's kind of playing like just one foot in the paint, one foot out of the paint, just like a zone, just standing there. And maybe that's why the Lakers gave up 133 points. The Lakers looked discombobulated as a whole last night. They looked like, hey, we're trying to get this guy this record. But also, maybe that's part of the greatness of LeBron. Mike Francesa tweeted, classic Mike Francesa in the moment, watching LeBron go for this record also means we have to watch this horrific Lakers defense, something like that. And... Yeah, there's all the jokes and the things I said. LeBron pushed off all those different things about LeBron and the Shams tweeting five minutes before he breaks the record about Jericho Sims being in the slam dunk contest, which I think is going to be phenomenal. Jericho Sims can jump out of a building. I mean, he's unreal. You saw there are videos of him where he gets his chin up above the rim. Like, it's unreal. But the point is that I thought LeBron would hold it. I thought he would get to... Thursday and try and do it then make himself the storyline for even longer but no there was a buzz in the building everyone came out Kareem was there Jay-Z was there the celebrities whoever it was everyone was in the building last night and I think LeBron took it as a personal responsibility you saw in some of the sound effects some of the cut up clips of him talking to his kids like yeah I'm gonna go for it tonight he shows up wearing black he puts the headband on he knows tonight I want to do this almost because it was so unnatural for the Lakers that maybe he was like, I need to get this out of the way so that if there's any chance we make a run at the playoffs, and we'll talk about that also with this team, the only way we do that is for me to get the personal stuff out aside. And that defines LeBron. He's been team first his entire life. Now he's all about himself. He's all about the brand. He's all about the him being calling himself the king and all those different things. But not on the basketball court, not when he plays the way he plays is maybe the most selfless superstar ever in the sense that he's not the guy trying to go for the it's always been about trying to figure out what's best to win. Some nights that means him putting up 25 shots and scoring 45 points. That's fine. But I say appreciate greatness when I was watching this game. It's hard not to think about all the different things. And you try and think about athletes and what they mean, what they mean to a certain sport. And a lot of people, it's so easy to just hate on everything. And that's the immediate reaction. But this is the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. And the more I watched and the more I saw a guy who has been famous in the spotlight since the time he's 15 years old and was in the NBA as a child at 18 and had to deal with everything he's dealt with. And to see his three kids and his wife out there being the first ones to greet him and the just, I guess the example he set for the people around him wherever he was and he doesn't even have as much can you imagine you're you're you have no father figure in your life you're trying to figure it out essentially on your own from the time you're 15 you have people calling you the king and going at you and like treating you calling you the chosen one and all of a sudden all these different things and you stayed somehow on the straight and arrow and you stayed a family man and whether it's a public persona or not you've kept this pristine image of yourself And really, outside of one thing where he turned the decision into a big deal, which I agree he shouldn't have done, but he still has every right to go to Miami. 
but just turning it into that big deal and not expecting the reaction to be what it was. Look, this is a guy who's so calculated in everything he does, and that was maybe his only miscalculation in his career. But everything else that he's done seems so calculated, and yet in the moment last night, it felt so genuine and so real. And so my biggest gripe with LeBron in my life and what I've watched is the calculation and all everything so planned and everything so and so last night him going for it felt genuine it was like I don't want to just wait and hold it and be the spotlight and I'm not into the whole stop the game in the middle of the game so that everyone can come onto the court and do a whole celebration when there's a game going on the most important thing is not supposed to be your personal achievement it's supposed to be the game itself and winners and losers but when LeBron spoke, he was as genuine. I remember there was an interview that I saw his first game back in Cleveland, his first year in Miami. And I thought that was the most raw, genuine, emotional interview that he's ever given. Last night topped that. And his, when he talked after the game with the TNT crew, Shaq and Jamal Crawford and Candace Parker and Adam Lefko, he was extremely genuine. He still did the LeBron calculated thing where he's like, whether it's here or elsewhere, my goal is still to play a few more years and to win championships. But he did it in a way that didn't seem fake and phony. And it just felt real. And so you can joke about certain things like Derek Jeter in the game that he had 3,000 hits. He obviously had six hits in the game and came back and won the game for them. Basically had five RBIs or whatever it was in that game and willed the Yankees to a late comeback win. And LeBron lost by whatever 20 points last night and it's funny because this has been going around when he passed Michael Jordan in scoring the team lost by 16 to Denver and when he passed Kobe they lost by 17 to the Sixers when he became the all-time scoring leader including playoffs he lost to a Draymondless war Draymondless Warriors when he reached 10,000 points 10,000 assists and 10,000 rebounds they lost by 29 points to Phoenix and when he passed Carl Malone they lost by 16 to Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma so it's become a tradition him losing in all these games that are the big moment. But isn't that so on brand for LeBron? Not because he's a loser, but because whenever he's going for something personal, it's so anti-LeBron. It's so anti what he's been on the floor in his career. And so for him to play his game as a NBA player, as a basketball player, as what he does in the scheme of winning, in the scheme of being the best he can be for the LA Lakers... It has to be a team thing and not a personal thing. And the second it becomes personal, he cannot win those games. It's it's so interesting to me. And I don't see it necessarily as a negative. It's being talked about as a negative. But I think that's just who he is. I think he is the greatest team athlete I have ever seen in my lifetime because everything he does seemingly while... Being the greatest, while having being, he's going to be forty thousand points, ten thousand assists, ten thousand rebounds. Like that's, that's unheard of, and he's going to do that all while being thought of as the greatest team player, as a pass first guy, as a always trying to figure out what the best thing he can do on the floor to win is. And I do hope that he gets in a situation that's better than this situation at some point, because Anthony Davis seems checked out and he seems pissed. He didn't care that LeBron was breaking this record. Um, Russell Westbrook, obviously frustrated that he was in trade rumors the last few days and LeBron James publicly tweeting. And this is the part of LeBron that I hate. And it's what bothers me because he's so great. 
it's the tweeting, maybe the problem's me. Like, LeBron James sometimes has zero self-awareness, and I thought last night he was perfectly aware, and it was super cool. But it's one of the gripes I have with him is that he has zero self-awareness. And when he writes, maybe it's me, like, yeah, no, duh, it is you. Like, why they didn't weren't able to trade for Kyrie, because everything he does is about himself first when it comes to off-the-floor stuff. And it's what makes it so frustrating about LeBron, because the most selfless player on the floor, the most team-first player on the floor, is so selfish off it. And so it's just an interesting dynamic for this guy. One of the most interesting case studies of an athlete we've ever seen. And you think about what he's done for the schools and all the work he's done in the communities off the floor. like, And that stuff's incredible. So when you say off the court, it's like, what do you mean? Off the court, he's incredible. No, I'm talking about the basketball-related stuff off the court. It's the weirdest dynamic because there's off the court, unrelated to basketball completely, which he's amazing. There's on the court where he's the most selfless team first guy incredible best basketball player i've ever seen in my life and then there's that middle ground where it's like that calculated selfish i'm the chosen one i'm the king that just drives you insane and you're like if that didn't exist he'd be the perfect probably the go and but he doesn't he's not that killer attitude it's it's just a different type of calculated commitment there's still so much to learn from him i'm not even like it's today's not the point to talk about the team, to talk about the negative, because I think focusing on the negative is stupid on a day like today where he should be celebrated, and rightfully so. But two guys who didn't celebrate him were Westbrook and Davis, who seemed disinterested and just totally lost and felt like this is not our moment. And true, it's not a team moment. But when you're Derek Jeter and you accomplish a goal, everyone on the team is so happy for you and clearly obsessed with you. When Aaron Judge had the home run, you saw it was the team record this year. When Aaron Judge broke 61 home runs, it felt like it was the team achieving it together. This felt like a very individual moment. And the basketball and the team and the winning felt totally secondary. Even SGA, who had an incredible game, has the second post-game interview after the LeBron interview, after a win, and he just kind of seemed annoyed also. And I don't blame him because you just went out and you're a young team and you came into Crypto.com Arena or Staples Center, whatever you want to call it, and you dominated and you were great and you showed your greatness and you got none of the shine or any of it and you actually were the one who did win the game. So it's, it's, yeah, it was a super weird dynamic and I don't know what's going to happen with this Laker team. And I don't think this is the place where LeBron's going to win. But all of that aside for one night, put it all aside because the guy who is not thought of as the greatest scorer, the guy who has his family with his two kids sitting there wearing their Jordans and his wife and his daughter and the people, so many people in his life who genuinely love him and respect him, who know him better than I do, coming out there and celebrating him And the guy who's known as a team first guy, the guy who's not known as a scorer, the guy who people are asking, LeBron's the greatest scorer of all time. Is he the greatest scorer of all time? He has the most points of all time, but he's not a great scorer. I don't think that LeBron is a great scorer. And that's what's so amazing about him. The guy who we don't think of as a great scorer is now the greatest scorer ever. That's just how well-rounded his game is. If you think of one play that might be the most memorable play of LeBron's career, it's a block, a block shot on defense. Like That's how incredible this guy is um and there's not enough that can be said 
like I said, appreciate greatness. And when you're watching something like this, you just have to sit back and admire it. So I'm not going to be the one to sit here and today talk about how him scoring 35 points a game this year is totally blown out of proportion because every team in the NBA is scoring 15 more points per game than they did seven years ago. You know, um, today's not the day for that. I'll talk about it on a different episode. There'll be plenty of time to fill talking about basketball. Um, but the next step for the Lakers, I think, is really interesting because what happens is this just a career that plays out over the next few years in LA and he's just a Laker and he got the record. Do they make a move now at this deadline? Is there a move to be made? The deadlines tomorrow. What happens is LeBron gone in the off season is Anthony Davis. What happens with this Laker team and what happens with the LeBron career? Now the thought was they were going to get Kyrie. And so we'll transition into that. Kyrie Irving gets traded First, he asks out, and I've said this once. I've said this a thousand times on this podcast. We knew something was going to happen. When we talked about the Nets, it couldn't just be. It couldn't just stay still. They were 18-2 and in their last 20 games that Kyrie and KD played together. An incredible run. They were finally clicking. And at that moment, I was like, look, they might be the best team in the NBA. They could win a championship, but you know something else is going to happen. Something else is going to come up. I said it might be a Kevin Durant injury, and with Kyrie, it could be anything, and with Ben Simmons, it could be anything. It was a Kevin Durant injury, and then a Ben Simmons injury, and then Kyrie turned into maybe the best version of Kyrie that we've seen in a long time, where he was single-handedly carrying this team and winning games. A little help from Cam Thomas, too. Whatever. I told you, anyone in the NBA these days this year can go out and score 40, so... I'm not that impressed by it. There's no one else taking shots on the team, but sure, congrats, Cam Thomas, happy for you. But you knew something was going to happen, and they were winning, and they were playing well, and it finally felt like this team could be a championship team. And Kyrie Irving, after a month of good behavior, feels like, I need a new contract. I'm disrespected. They just tolerate me. They don't respect me. Why? Because you weren't suspended or disappeared from the team, or chose not to play for no reason, or causing trouble for a month. So now all of a sudden, you need all the respect and you need a a fully guaranteed contract. They offered him a ton of money. They just didn't offer him the most guaranteed money. And to me, that's so unaware and selfish of Kyrie Irving. And this is what he's proven that he always does. And he asks for a trade. You think Dallas is going to pay you without incentives in the contract, without having minimums of games played required? Like, who's going to pay you? Like, how delusional can you be? And at this point, I just I just feel bad for Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant hitched his wagon to the wrong guy. Now, there's about 24 hours before you either trade to make this team better which I think they did really well. And we'll talk about exactly what happened in this trade in a second for the Nets and where the Nets go from here. But if they don't get a deal done, then you have those same 24 hours to trade Durant. Like you're not going to get the best package for Durant. So Durant's probably going to play out. If I were the Nets, I'm not letting him go. You still, just by virtue of having Durant, I don't know, Middleton gets hurt. One of the Jalen or Jason Tatum gets hurt. And all of a sudden you're back in the NBA finals potentially and you could win it. 
Steph Curry's out for a month now. Who knows what the West is going to look like at the end of the year? You have one of the best players in the league today in Kevin Durant. There's no reason to give him up. And if it doesn't work out, then fine. Trade him in the summer when you have time to work out a real deal and get a real return for him. But using this 24-hour window just doesn't make sense. Now, what does it mean for Kyrie in Dallas? Um, look, everyone's buying in. Everyone's like, oh, Kyrie and, and Luka, it's the best backcourt in the NBA. This is, this is great. Kyrie on the floor. Hey, forget about all the other stuff. Kyrie on the floor is incredible. And I I have my thoughts, but Ryan Rossillo was spot on. It was 30 seconds, and I just want to play it for you because I can't explain it. This is why when people ask me why I love Ryan Rossillo so much, this is exactly uh, the content I like from him. Listen to what he had to say about Kyrie in Dallas. I know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to have like 38 and Luca's going to have 40 and they're going to beat some team's brains in and it's going to look fucking awesome. And then people are going to go on TV saying like, why did you doubt? And then Kyrie's going to do something really fucking stupid again. And we're going to go, oh, so that's all that's going to happen. That's fair. Yeah, that was on the Bill Simmons podcast on The Ringer. And he's right. Something's going to happen. No one's denying that Kyrie Irving on the court is incredible. Kyrie Irving is an unbelievable basketball player. He does things that some of us have never seen with the handle and finishing around the rim. And he can take over a game in ways that few can. But there's always something with him. And so why for Dallas? You think of Dallas as a team that's smart, that knows better. I think Dallas is terrified of losing Luka Doncic. I think last year they lost Jalen Brunson and Jalen Brunson missing has been huge for them. They had an opportunity to sign Jalen Brunson. The Knicks didn't even give Brunson the max and Dallas could have given him the max and they could have given him a bigger contract during the season than anyone else before even at free agency. There are minutes in the game and these are important minutes when Lucas sits because he's such a ball-dominant guy that when he sits, all of a sudden the offense like, what do we do now? And Jalen Brunson would play those minutes and be the ball handler and basically play Luka for those minutes. And you saw in the playoff games last year, both when Luka was healthy and when he was hurt, what Jalen Brunson meant to this team. Because at the end of every game in the playoffs, when you see the same team over and over again, they're going to start doubling Luka. They're going to figure out ways to get the ball out of his hands. And you need someone else to go make plays for you. And so to me... This entire season, they were trying to figure out a way to make up for not having Jalen Brunson. And it was a real mistake that they made. Just letting him go and being like, yeah, we'll be fine without him. And Bill Simmons has been talking about this all year, actually. He's saying, you need those minutes. And Jalen Brunson not being there is really hurting them more than they anticipated. And I think Mark Cuban, he's been on the podcast. He respects Bill Simmons. I think he listens and he's like, shoot, I made a mistake. And he might maybe panicked. And was like, okay, I need to go make a move to make up for that. And who better than Kyrie Irving, who he could have the ball in his hand, right? Now Kyrie's going to have the ball in his hand and he'll play the when Luka sits. Then Luka will come in and Kyrie will sit. But at the end of the games, it's still going to be interesting. Yeah, I told you Luka's going to get doubled. Luka's going to get ball denied. I like Kyrie to make plays in that time. We saw it in the finals with LeBron. That was the peak Kyrie when... He was not necessarily the on-ball, ball-in-his-hands guy on every possession. But when he needed to, when LeBron couldn't make plays, he was the one there capable of making plays. 
But those two personalities, two guys who need the ball 24-7, we just talked about LeBron. He's not necessarily a ball-dominant guy. He's all about what's going on with the team. Luka's the type of player who just dribbles and everyone else stands around and watches. Kyrie's the same. So what's going to happen when they're both on the court just watching the other guy? And what about all the dysfunction and all the different things that come with it? You don't think that could end up driving Luka out of town? And I started thinking about Dallas as a franchise. And to me, everyone thinks about Dallas as this great franchise because growing up, they had Dirk Nowitzki and Rick Carlisle as the head coach. And there was all this great, I mean, they won a championship. They went to another championship, all those different things. But a lot of that, a great coach and a great player kind of can mask a lot of dysfunction. And whenever there's a team, no matter who you are, even if you're Mark Cuban, who's considered this great owner, when you're a team that has an owner who meddles this much, and I don't know if this trade came from Mark Cuban. That's just my thought, my opinion. I don't know if that's true. That's not fact. That's just my guess. But when you have an owner who meddles like this, um, it's never a functional situation. It's never a good situation for the team. And so there's a chance that Luca, with his personality, this front office has gone through some dysfunction where they broke apart the entire front office staff where a bunch of guys that have been fired and Rick Carlisle amongst them, but also in the front office GM, that type of stuff, have been fired over Luca because of how they've treated him. And Mark Cuban treats Luca like this god and Luca sees himself that way. And Luca is not a winning player. He's one of the best players and the best young player in the NBA today. And yet he might not be a winning player. He may become one. He may turn into one. But as of today, he is not that. And I don't know if Kyrie Irving is exactly the guy to turn him into that. Because when Kyrie was in Cleveland, LeBron was the guy who came in and kind of guided Kyrie. You had the greatest team player ever. Is Kyrie really going to be the person to take Luka to the level of being the great teammate and the great winner that he can be? I don't know. It's a dangerous, dangerous. Now, look, the reward, I think early on, I think tonight they already play. It's going to look freaking awesome, like Rosillo said. But I don't know. There's, it's going to, it's, it's risk. It's a risk you're running right now because you gave up a lot. And maybe the worst thing that can happen for the Dallas Mavericks is that. The next three months go by swimmingly and maybe they make it to the conference finals and then they get knocked out and Kyrie makes no bad decisions and no headlines. Although he's already screwed that up because he deleted his apology to the Jewish community. And I'm not personally offended by it. I knew he just did it, you know, to get back on the court. But the reason he deleted it was because he felt like it wasn't from him. It was the Nets made him do it. And this is why he wanted out of Brooklyn. So he's already causing trouble, but okay, we'll let that one slide for now. But if he doesn't cause trouble for the next couple months and the team looks good and him and Luca work well together and all those different things, that might be the worst thing because that might mean you're Dallas. You're like, oh shoot, now we have to give him $45 million a year for the next four years. And what does that look like? And now we already know he doesn't want any incentives in his contract. He wants just a clean contract with, hey, here's your money up front, take it. I don't know. that's to think that the best scenario for the remainder of the season is also the worst scenario for Dallas long-term, but ultimately what do they want? Do they want it to look terrible and for him to do another stupid thing? And then what you keep him and pay him less, or you just let him walk after giving up all that for him. 
what's the upside to this trade for Dallas, really? Unless they win a championship this year. Because if they don't win this year, and you end up signing him long-term, there's going to be something with him. There just always has been. I said that when they won 18 out of 20 games a month ago, and it looked really good in Brooklyn. I said there was going to be something with him, and then there was. And every time... There's going to be something with him because there was something with him in Cleveland, and then there was something with him in Boston, and then there was a lot of somethings with him in Brooklyn, and that's not going to change just because he's in Dallas. From the Nets side of things, on the other side of it, the return is good. You got picks that you could try and flip to get more players right now, and the league almost doesn't want to trade. What's the incentive for the league to trade Brooklyn any good pieces if I'm the league I'm going no 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 we're not trading you anything we don't want your picks we want Kevin Durant so if I'm the league I'm looking at this saying no yeah we're good we'll we don't want your first pick we don't want this we don't want all these different things that you're offering us we don't want Ben Simmons we don't want Spencer Dinwiddie Spencer Dinwiddie the trade didn't go through for a few days because they were just going to try and flip Dinwiddie but now the Nets have Dinwiddie and they can trade him maybe they could trade Cam Thomas and get a good return on him I don't know but the point is, if I'm the rest of the league, I'm like, no, we don't want to do that. Why should we help you help Durant? Help you keep Durant, right? We should want it to get dysfunctional for you not to be able to help Durant. And then you have to trade Durant. Whether it's now or in the summer, we're playing the long game here. If I'm the 29 other teams, I look at this and say, yeah, good luck. Build whatever you can. We're not helping you build around Kevin Durant. So then he wants to stay. We're going to watch you spin out. And then guess what? We'll take Durant off your hands when you come back to us in the summer and say, hey, now we have to trade him. But with the return they got from Dallas, Dorian Finney-Smith, that's another piece on defense. Spencer Dinwiddie, that's another guy who can play off ball with Durant. I actually think it's not bad. I think this team, if Cam Thomas is this guy, kind of. Nick Claxton is really good. I wouldn't trade him. The rumors were that Toronto wanted him back in any potential trade. And I don't blame Toronto for wanting him. But if I'm the Nets, I don't give him up. If Ben Simmons can just be mediocre, if he could just play some defense, Dorian Finney-Smith can knock down some corner threes. Like like I said, you have Kevin Durant. This team is still in a great position to win. And so the next steps, like I said, just try and win. See what you can get. Maybe you can get something, just some piece to go with this team. And then you just ride it out. Try and go on a run this year and ride Kevin Durant. And if it doesn't work, like I said, in the summer, you could trade him. And at the end of all this, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they choose the Nets over the Knicks and every other team also, but it felt like they were choosing the Nets over the Knicks. They played 74 total games together after that whole big thing. Less than one full NBA season they played together. And if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you do it all over again because I said this once, I've said it a thousand times. You have the opportunity to get guys like this, to get guys that talented, you take it. And they are half a shoe size away from potentially winning that game, beating Milwaukee and moving on and who knows what happens. And you still do it. Also, I saw something funny speaking of Cam Thomas. Kyrie has two 40-point games this season. Cam Thomas has three 40-point games in the last five days. Kevin Durant might want to stick around, you know? <laughs> um, The other thing was immediately when this all happens and with LeBron stuff and with Kyrie Irving, everything in the NBA, NBA Twitter drives me insane. Um, there's just an incredible amount of access to hate more than we've seen ever before. 
that it's so easy to just have a negative take on things. And the storylines last week were all about the referees, right? Obviously, the LeBron game um, in Boston and everything, the fallout from there. Obviously, the game um, in the NFL, obviously, the game with Cincinnati. And I don't think it changed the AFC Championship game. Like, I think Kansas City is the right team that should be in the Super Bowl on Sunday, and they will be in the Super Bowl on Sunday. I don't think it changed the outcome of the game, but it was poor officiating. It was it was a bad job by them. And somebody pointed this out that they have these all-star ref crews in the NFL playoffs where they put crews that weren't together and don't have chemistry. They mash them up together uh, for the playoffs. And maybe they shouldn't do that. Maybe they should just have the crews that have worked together and have a chemistry. And that way, if somebody blows a whistle and is running down the field, the other refs will know because they've worked together, stuff like that. Um, so that was just an interesting note. But it's so hard to look at things objectively and to not see the negative. And so during the AFC and NFC championship games, I was actually, I was not on Twitter. I was on my phone taking notes the whole time. And I, to me, that was a much more enjoyable way to watch sports. And I'm like, oh, I should be doing this more often. And now it's fun. It feels like a community when you're watching it and you're tweeting during the game, all that stuff. But it really clouds the way you look at things. Um, and I'm getting to a point here. Don't worry. But the league puts out the whole apology for LeBron, right? After the no foul call that almost seemed like it was satire because of how over the top it was. Then Scott Foster gets involved, right? And he decides to ref the word. The league decides he's going to ref the next game. So obviously you knew the Lakers were winning that game. It's so crazy how the NBA legitimately has a referee that they know if they ever want to control the narrative of a game, hey, we'll just put Scott Foster on the game and it'll, it'll go our way. That's just wild to me. Um, but the Knicks in particular, the hate on Twitter, and just it's it's vicious Knicks Twitter. It's it, I don't I hate it. There's one guy on Knicks Twitter that I actually like, and he'll be joining us on the podcast a little bit later. Um, not today, but at some point uh, next week, probably after the Super Bowl, after we get done with all of that and the festivities. But the Knicks are a good, fun team that's developing. They're young. They have a young player who's on the verge of being a star in Julius Randle. They have a guy who I believe is one of the best point guards in the league and a real star in Jalen Brunson. Emmanuel Quickly and Deuce McBride and Quentin Grimes are really fun to watch. Obi Toppin in limited minutes, Jericho Sims, those guys are extremely fun to watch. They don't have that real superstar. But at this point, when you look at this roster, they are really a superstar away from being a team that can actually compete. They'll be in the playoffs, whether it's the play-in or not. They'll probably be like a six seed. They're a little bit better than 500. But why can't we just take that and appreciate that and enjoy that? Why does it always have to be so negative and looking at all the terrible things? And I think there is an RJ Barrett problem. He needs to develop. Some nights it feels like he's moving in the right direction, but it seems like this year it's been one step forward, two step backwards with him. And it, yeah, part of it sucks where James Dolan, he said that his goal is for every night for people to come to the garden and then leave with a smile and feel like they had a wonderful time. So maybe his goal is not to win, but he said he's done meddling with the team. He's letting the decision makers make decisions. But the complaints about everything after every single game, I mean, and this is how the season has gone. You have the Lakers win or the lost the Lakers, sorry. Then you have, you beat the Heat. And then you lose to the Clippers. And then you beat the Sixers. And then you win against Orlando. A nice win last night on the road. 
in every single one of these games, it's just the overreaction, not only on Twitter, but on these national TV shows, the overreaction to the Knicks. What 500 team gets this much? It's not just positive. It's just or negative. It's just this much attention like the Knicks do. It's just it's crazy. And every single game at MSG feels like it's going to be talked about because it's going to come down to a five-point game in the last two minutes. That's why Jalen Brunson leads the league in clutch points, which I think the game has to be within five points in the last five minutes of the game. That's the definition of clutch points. And Jalen Brunson leads it because every single game at Madison Square Garden is like a two-point game with a minute to go. And the Knicks are in every single one of these games. And there's going to be a player on the other side, whether it's Fred Van Vliet or whether it's Kawhi Leonard or whether it's LeBron James or whoever it is who's going to come into that building and feel like, I'm the man. I'm going to come to the garden. I'm going to perform. So it's definitely a disadvantage for the Knicks. But every game has been that way for the Knicks this year. But maybe instead of looking at that, is it possible that we can just appreciate that they're in all these games, that they're giving us these fun games, these fun matchups, and they have a guy in Jalen Brunson? who every time down, you want him to be the guy with the ball in his hands. You want him to be the one taking those shots. To me, this is a departure from past Knicks teams in so many ways. And yet, everyone's talking about it almost in a negative light. And I agree that Tibbs does some things that sometimes are head scratchers. Like when he did the other night against Philly, where he kept McBride and Fournier in the game as long as he did, because he rode the hot hand. And that's what he should be doing. When he brought R.J. Barrett back in against the Clippers instead of going to Emmanuel quickly in that spot, it made no sense. Why would you bring Barrett, who was awful? I know he had a big three in that game, but he was awful. He was 6-for-21 shooting in that game, and that was the game that famously Clyde Frazier says on the on the radio, or the TV broadcast, rather. He says, R.J. Barrett has the distinction of being the team's worst defender, and people are kind of throwing shade at Clyde for saying that, and... RJ was disappointed in that. This is a guy who was chanting RJ Barrett to you last year. He's a huge fan of yours. He wants you to do well. He's just speaking facts. He was saying that it was backed up by statistics. He wasn't saying that he thought he was. But RJ Barrett has been a disappointment this year. He's lacks confidence shooting the ball. He's not taking the ball to the rim because he's scared to get fouled because he's not shooting well at the free throw line. And then on defense, he's just completely lackadaisical. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because he got paid. I'm not sure. But R.J. Barrett, like I said, he has these games where he looks great and then he takes two steps backwards and it's frustrating. But you have a guy in Emmanuel Quickly who should be playing down the stretch over him right now. His defense, and there was an article, really good article, I think it's Fred Katz on The Athletic who broke down R.J. Barrett, or sorry, Emmanuel Quickly's defense and he how he's the captain of the defense and how much better the Knicks are. The Knicks are the best defensive team in the NBA by far when Emmanuel Quickly is on the floor. I think the per 100 possessions, they would give up like 20 less points than the best team in defense in the NBA per 100 possessions if Emmanuel quickly was on the game for 100 possessions, like was on the floor for 100 possessions. Like to me, that guy's untouchable. He's been in trade rumors. You cannot trade Emmanuel quickly. I cannot stress that enough. I've said if Emmanuel quickly gets traded, I'm done with the Knicks. And somebody was like, that's going to be the the one thing after all they've done. That's going to be the what breaks the camels, the straw that breaks the camels back. And it's like, yeah, because he's a guy who, to me, you is one of your key players. He's a winning player. We talk about this with winning players and non-winning players. Emmanuel Quickly is a winning player, and he's been consistent on offense too. But 
back to RJ, you could talk about shooting slumps. You could talk about all these different things, but there's no excuse for not giving an effort. It seems like he just needs to get his head in the game and just refocus and block out the outside noise. But that's the frustrating part. There's so much outside noise with this Knicks team. Like, why can't we just enjoy the fact that Julius Randle is an all-star again and had one of the most incredible turnarounds that we've seen? Why can't we appreciate the emergence of Quentin Grimes? So I, I just wanted to say that, just block out the negativity. And speaking of the all-stars, because there's more negative negativity around this, everyone's crying about the all-star snubs. Everyone's like, oh, this guy snubbed, that guy snubbed, because they did the selection. And the starters are as follows. Here are the starters. Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Zion, LeBron, and Jokic in the West. I mean, who's going to replace those guys, right? Kyrie, who's now in the West, but Kyrie for the East. Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Kevin Durant, right? And then the reserves in the West are John Morant, DeMontis Sabonis, SGA, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Laurie Markkinen, and Jaron Jackson Jr., And in the Eastern Conference, the reserves were Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo, Drew Holiday, Julius Randle, and Tyrese Halliburton. And everyone's crying about this guy was snubbed and that guy was snubbed. And people are talking about James Harden, Jalen Brunson, De'Aaron Fox, Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler, Trey Young, Devin Booker, Anthony Edwards. But the question becomes... Who are these guys replacing? Like, I think Brunson should have made it over Randall. And statistically speaking, it's probably Randall. But I think Randall's emergence and his resurgence this year is partially because of Jalen Brunson. Also, Johnny Bryant, which that was just a really cool story. And maybe we'll do it for another episode. We'll talk about the Randall resurgence. Um, If you haven't seen that story with Johnny Bryant, he basically he flew out to Dallas during the offseason when Julius Randall was there at home in Dallas. And he was like, dude, you need to refocus and talked about being a team guy and all the things that got to him and basically helped Julius Randle refocus. And some of the quotes from Randle are awesome. So I I do want to play them on a later episode. But with all these other guys, right? Siakam, great player. De'Aaron Fox, great player. Jimmy Butler, Trey Young. Although Trey Young, statistically, yes, he has, I think he's averaging like 11 assists and 27 points. But if you watch him play on a nightly basis, he takes a ton of shots. He's shooting an extremely low percentage. Booker missed too much time, probably. But with all these guys, like, who are you taking out? Are you taking out John Morant? Are you taking out Sabonis, SGA, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Laurie Marketing, Jaron Jackson? Like, these guys have been fantastic this season. In the Eastern Conference, are you taking out Embiid? No. You're not taking out DeRozan. You're not taking out Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo. Drew Holiday, people were saying, oh, how's Drew Holiday? Drew Holiday is an all-star. Drew Holiday is... He is one of the most... He's. It's crazy how it, it ebbs and flows. It always goes like this. He goes from... I think he was overrated, and I think the contract was crazy that they gave him, and then they traded too much for him, I thought the Bucks did. And everyone's talking about how overrated he is. But then it got to the point where now he's so underrated because of how much everyone talked about that he's overrated. You know, that always happens in sports. Drew Holiday is a really, really good basketball player and, and definitely an all-star. Tyrese Halliburton also. And I know there's the whole back and forth with him and Wally Zerbe. I don't really care about that. But it's like maybe just instead of complaining and saying, oh, this guy snubbed, that guy snubbed, like you don't sound educated because, okay, so tell me who's in and who you would take out. Maybe just appreciate that there's more than 24 great, talented NBA players in the league today. And I think Anthony Edwards is fun and it would be fun to have him at, at you know, 
NBA All-Star week, it would be cool because he has a great personality and stuff. But instead of the hate and the just, I don't know, negativity surrounding it, if we could just look at this and say, wow, the game is in incredible hands. There are all these young, talented players. Look at the rosters for the Rising Stars Challenge. So many young, talented, fun players. The league is in awesome hands. There are so many... And look, this is the top of the league, the superstars, and then the young guys. You look at the combination of that, just appreciate it. Just enjoy the product you're watching. And so with that, I kind of wanted to do something fun um, because I embrace the debate. I like that people have their opinions and people will get upset. I decided to give my top 10 players today that if I had a team and the Knicks are a perfect example of this because they're probably a superstar away. If I could just pluck one of these players and put them on my Knicks, and I want to, ch- I want to build a championship for this season and this season only. This is not a franchise. It's not a long-term thing. Is I need a player to put on a team that's ready to win around them. And that's why I think the Knicks are actually a fun example. Who are the top ten players in the NBA today? Literally today. And so I said number ten was Kawhi Leonard. The reason I say Kawhi, and people might not like this pick, is because every time he's out there, when he's giving his effort, when he decides to commit and really play, he's still as good as anyone. Those long arms, his defense, his jump shots look like there's no one else who shoots jumpers like him. I don't know what it is. He gets like, he gets, he has a certain rise on his jump shots, and then to the point where the shot itself is like a line drive, and they always like hit the same spot on like the back of the rim and they go down like there's never a like I feel like the net never moves on his jumpers I don't know there's a certain look to his jumpers that no one else has um and he can take over at any point just take over a game he's so gifted with all the baggage and stuff that comes around him if this was a franchise I was building for the next five years no no thank you I don't want you Kawhi but if I knew he was going to play every day for just a championship run he's still as good as anyone in the league Number nine is John Morant. Even if I have Jalen Brunson, and I'm not talking about specifically if this was the Knicks, obviously. This is just a team. Who would I want? John Morant, what he could do, it's crazy because I think Memphis is solid. I don't think they're a bad team, but I think it's the John Morant show every single night. And that's probably why some of these big games where on national TV and teams are locking in on them, they become predictable and it's tough for them. And it's tough for Ja to do everything on his own because he's asked to do so much. And yet with all that, he's still unstoppable. He's number nine. Number eight is LeBron. LeBron has slowed down, and that's why he's not top three for me or top five for me right now. But that just goes to show you the depth and the amount of talent there is in the league. And this is kind of the point that I'm trying to prove with this exercise is that there are so many great players. And some of these guys, they're in the top 10. You could argue other people should be in. They should be out. It's, It's remarkable. And I think it's important to see. And LeBron is... Like I said, team first. He can still take over a game and score when you need him to, like we saw last night. Um, And so he's a little bit slower. He can't play as many minutes. Like he's probably more of a 32 minute a guy, 32 minute a night guy right now. And that's with getting rest and with getting games off. So for an extended playoff run, I don't know. Like he had to sit the end of last night's game. It was like a close game and he took himself out of the game because of how much energy and probably emotional energy also he exerted in the first half, in the first three quarters, really. So it's interesting. I still think like talent-wise, he's so great. Um, But I just think there's a slight drop-off that we've seen. He's 38 years old. It makes sense. 
Um, and that's why I have him at number eight. Number seven is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum could win the MVP this year with how good Boston has been. Obviously, he gets to play with Jalen Brown, but he's separated himself and it started in last year's playoffs in the finals where it's like, okay, there's Jason Tatum and then there's Jalen Brown where there's a clear one and two there. And he's one of the best young players in the league. He gets to the rim. He plays defense. The jumper's there. He has that it factor, that takeover factor, um, where it feels like at the end of the games when you need big shots, he's the guy to take them, and he's number seven. Number six is Luka Doncic. I am not a huge fan of his style, but style aside, like if you think that is a winning style, it's similar to the James Harden, which I loved. I was the biggest Harden stand for years. I think it's similar. where a lot of guys standing around, and he's just going to make something happen, yet he can single-handedly win games for you alone while everyone else stands around and watches that's how incredible he is he's probably the best one on if you had to pick a one-on-one player if this was like a list of my favorite one-on-one players you were playing a game of basketball one-on-one who would i choose i'd probably choose luca over anyone um number five is joel Embiid. joel Embiid frustrates me so much because when he decides that he wants to play and goes hard and you saw at the end of this knicks game where it was still a close game, a free throw went up, and it was, I think it was a five-point game, the Knicks missed a free throw, and he got out-rebounded by freaking Isaiah Hartenstein, who's the softest big man I've ever seen in my life. Uh, like, he can't catch rebounds usually, and he got out, he just got shoved out of this out of the way, and Isaiah Hartenstein took the rebound away from him. And so sometimes it's so frustrating with Embiid that he's, he just cries and he's not committed. But if Embiid was committed and he had that killer in him, that winner dog instinct in him, then Joel Embiid would be the best player in the league. And it wouldn't be particularly close. And I don't think we'd have an argument about it. And so when he cries and says, why am I not in the MVP discussion with Luka Doncic and Jokic? That's my best Embiid imitation. Sorry. Um, I, don't, I think he's Australian. Like, I don't even know what that accent was. But the point is, why when he complains, it's because, well, you don't put in the work like other guys do. You don't stay healthy. You're going to get injured and it sucks. You don't have that killer. You don't have that dog in you. And it sucks that you don't, because if you did, you'd be probably the best player in the league. Number four is Steph Curry. Steph Curry has definitely taken a step back. There's injury concerns with him. His shooting is still unmatched. He's still the best shooter in the league today. But more than that, if he came to your team, he changes everything that your team does because of how he runs around and how he doesn't stop moving. When he gives up the ball, he's relocating, he's moving. All of a sudden, your entire offense starts moving in ways that you've never seen before because of the movement that he does on the floor. And so he changes everything, not just because of himself and who he is and what he's capable of, but everything around him, all of a sudden, everyone gets elevated by his play. He's one of those rare, great players who elevates everyone around him. Number three is Giannis. There's... Not much to explain here. Giannis is the most dominant force. He's another guy similar to John Morant where you know what's coming every time and you still can't stop him. Only he's seven feet tall and huge. Unlike Ja, who's a small guy, what he does on the defensive side obviously is unreal. Um, And his ability to get to the rim and also make plays for his teammates and how he collapses a defense onto him where sometimes he sees three or four guys even crowding around him because of how terrified they are of him is so integral to a team. He might be the best player in the league today. I have him at number three. Number two is Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer I've ever seen. Again, LeBron James is the number one scorer of all time. Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer I've ever seen. Just a pure scorer. You need a bucket. I need two points right now. 
where am I looking to? I, I'm taking Kevin Durant over anyone in basketball today. I need three points. I'm taking Kevin Durant. He's a three-level shooter, three-level scorer where he can get to the rim. He obviously can create for himself. The mid-range game is as good as anyone. Every time he takes a mid-range jumper, I think it's going in. His three-pointer is lethal. He gets the free-throw line. He's the best scorer I've ever seen. You have to double and triple team him. It doesn't help, and he always makes the right decisions uh, for everyone around him. And he plays really good defense, too. He's really long and has used his length and athleticism, even though it's not the same as it was pre-injuries. He still uses it uh, to be one of the best players. And if I wanted to build the perfect team, Kevin Durant would be right in middle of it. And number one is Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is the MVP right now. He is the best player in the MV- in the NBA today. It's weird to see it. People talk about like compare his triple doubles to Russell Westbrook's triple doubles and like, oh, triple doubles is just a stat. He's stat padding. If you are comparing Nikola Jogic's triple doubles to what Westbrook did with the Oklahoma City Thunder, you do not deserve to watch basketball ever again. The OKC Thunder were a 500 team that weren't particularly good and Westbrook was chasing stats. Nikola Jokic is the everything that they do runs through him and he's the greatest team player. He takes sometimes 10 shots in a game and he's still scoring 20 points. He does everything for this team. He's not even looking to short shoot or score. He knows exactly what he needs to do when he needs to do it. You can't double team him because he's always going to find the open guy. He's such an incredible passer. He doesn't care if he gets the assist or someone else does. If he kicks it out and they swing it and get the points, it's all about the team with him. But if you go one-on-one with him, he's going to take you right to the rim and score a layup. If you drop back on him, he'll hit a jumper over you. Right now, he is the most dominant player in the NBA today, in my opinion. I think they should be the favorites in the West. Jamal Murray's starting to come on a little bit. And he is the number one guy that I would want on an NBA team today. But that's the point. The point is that it's so deep. There's so many fun, talented guys. And just appreciate that and enjoy that instead of complaining about which one of them's made the all-star game and which ones didn't. Either way, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, who knew there would be so much to talk about during Pro Bowl week? A lot to talk about, obviously. Um, You know, the media kind of makes up stuff to talk about usually, where it's like, I saw a bunch of stuff. Is Mahomes the GOAT? Really? The same week that Tom Brady retires as that was a huge story, and I didn't even get to that yet. We had the biggest retirement in sports this week. Darren O'Day retired from Major League Baseball, longtime reliever for the Baltimore Orioles. No, but Tom Brady retired. Kyrie has his stuff this week. It's like it's scripted where like you think there's going to be a quiet week in sports and then boom, Kyrie does something stupid, which is not a shock to anyone. And Tom Brady retires, which he's done before. But this time it feels like it's for real. And maybe we'll talk about Tom Brady on another episode in length, but just a couple things. Um, First of all, as people started to say, oh, he's definitely playing next year. The question is where the more people said that, the more I was like, oh, he might actually retire. And the reason I think it's different for him this time around is because he always talked about playing until he was 45. He's 45 now. Um, If I'm Tom Brady, I would probably rather go out after a crazy comeback against uh, the Rams where your defense then blew it after you, you know, had a crazy comeback in a playoff game. That would probably be the way I would want to go out. I wouldn't want to go out after playing for Todd Bowles and getting crushed at home and humiliated by the Dallas Cowboys. But that said, like, in a way, it was the perfect last year. Brady threw the ball more than he's ever thrown in his career. I think he broke the record for the most passing attempts in a single season where it was like, I'm going to leave it all out there. I'm going to give it everything I have. I have no team around me anymore. 
And yet I'm still going to show that I'm still great. I'm just not interested in putting up with all this anymore. Not interested in getting hurt. Not interested in any of that stuff. And I'm not going to miss Brady after this year where it was like his greatness was incredible. And But I'm not going to miss him moving forward because it was also hard to watch at the same time. I, even though it didn't feel like he took a major step back, it feels like if he wants to come back and play next year, like if San Francisco called him with the Brock Purdy injury and was like, hey, come on, just just come home, play a season in Kyle Shanahan's offense where you'll be throwing screen passes to Ayuk and Kittle and Debo and McCaffrey. Like, of course he could do it. But he just doesn't feel like he needs to. He always said he wants to play till he's 45. He played till he's 45. And he's accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. And you think about his greatness. I always talk about appreciating greatness. He's had three separate Hall of Fame careers. It's astonishing. You talk about the first third of his career. We had 2,100 passing yards, 147 touchdowns, three Super Bowl wins. Middle stage of his career, he has... 40,000 passing yards, 300 passing touchdowns, and two Super Bowl wins. And then the last part of his career, he has 27,000 yards, 193 passing touchdowns, and two Super Bowl wins. Like, he's done everything and more. And it was interesting. It felt like he may have been waiting for Sean Payton. And I don't know if he slides into the booth right away. He said he's not going to start with Fox till 2024. Um, And obviously, Greg Olson, this might be the only Super Bowl he calls, even though Greg Olson is really talented. And Brady could just suck at calling games. I see him more in the studio sliding into the Sean Payton role, but I don't think that timing was a coincidence either. Maybe he was looking to play somewhere with Sean Payton. And when Sean Payton decided to go to Denver, which we'll talk about in a second, maybe that's why he decided, okay, now's the right time for me to retire. And so we did the whole goodbye Tom Brady song and dance last year. We don't need to do it again. He's back. He came back. And now it feels like, okay, now this feels right, even though maybe as a purist, you kind of would want it to be like his last game going out would have been better if it was after last year. But he never got to the point that Peyton Manning got to where he just stunk at the end. Like he never got to that point. You always were good. He was always, he'll be remembered forever. There was never like that bad top version of Tom Brady. We never saw it. Like the worst we saw was that interception that he threw against Dallas. But even then, it seemed like he was still capable. He just didn't feel like getting hit. And sometimes taking those hits is what it was going to take for him to play better. And he didn't need to. And the team just wasn't good enough. But speaking of Sean Payton, he goes to Denver. Um, It seems like they wanted D'Amico Ryans. But if you're Sean Payton, (sighs) is this really the best job for you? He already said Russell Wilson's not going to have his personal quarterbacks coach. But Sean Payton's treated like this incredible head coach. And he's going to fix the problems with Russell Wilson. And he's going to fix the Denver Broncos. If I'm Sean Payton, I want nothing to do with that. I'll sit at my cushy job on Fox and just wait till a good job opens up next year. Maybe the Cowboys job opens up. Why lock yourself into the mess that seemed to be going on? In Denver. Now, the other side of it is, well, if there's anyone who could figure out a aging quarterback with limited mobility and height, it would be Sean Payton. He did it for years with Drew Brees. But I don't know. It's more the attitude thing um, with 
Russell Wilson, that would be the concern if I'm Sean Payton. But everyone talks about Sean Payton like he's this incredibly gifted, talented head coach, and he's so great. I saw a meme. It was like, so you're relying on a guy who hasn't made the Super Bowl in eight years and another guy who hasn't made the Super Bowl in 13 years to save your franchise? And when you look at Sean Payton's career lined up against Mike McCarthy, because everyone's like, oh, get rid of McCarthy if you're Dallas and go get Sean Payton. Why? They have the same career. Record, Sean Payton's 152-89. and Mike McCarthy's 155-97. and It's a difference of 15 or 16 points in win percentage. How many seasons? Payton's coached for 15. McCarthy's coached for 16. They've each only had four losing seasons. Uh, Payton in 15 seasons has nine playoff appearances, and McCarthy in 16 seasons has 11. They each only have one Super Bowl. Their Super Bowl record is both the same, 1-0. Their playoff record is similar also. Mike McCarthy 11-10, and Sean Payton 9-8. and McCarthy's been to four conference championship games in which he's 1-3, and Sean Payton has been to three conference championship games where he's one and two. They're not that different from each other. And this is another thing where the perception is everything. Where This is all anyone talks about is, oh my God, Sean Payton's this great head coach. And wow, Denver, he's going to fix Russell Wilson. But Mike McCarthy's this bum in Dallas who can't figure it out, right? I don't know. Either way, D'Amico Ryan ends up with a six-year contract in Houston. Um, And I hope it's just not another case where Houston's hiring a guy who's just going to be the fall guy when they fail because they're not a very good team. They're not going to do very well. Um, It does hurt the case to be made. You're giving him six years. I don't think they're going to fire him right away again like they've done with the last coaches. But it hurts the case that some people are trying to make that they are racist and that's why they fired the coaches that they fired. They're just a dumb organization. They're stupid. They're not racist. That's my opinion. They might be racist also, but... Them hiring D'Amico Ryans and giving him a six-year contract kind of hurts that argument. Also, a big storyline, because we'll start talking about storylines and previews. By the way, did anyone know that the NHL All-Star Game happened last week? Yeah, me neither. Um, just bad job by the NHL promoting that. But storylines going into the Super Bowl. We're going to do a full episode on Friday talking about Super Bowl storylines, talking about the gambling aspects of it, all those different things. A lot to talk about. It's going to be super fun. We'll pick the game. Obviously, I'll give you a lot of prop bets too, though. All that fun stuff. One fun thing that I feel like is not talked about enough is Travis Kelsey now has is tied with Gronk. 15 career postseason touchdowns, um, the most by a tight end. And that's a huge storyline. I think he's going to break it in the Super Bowl. I think he'll score uh, and break Gronk's record. But we'll do a whole Super Bowl um, edition of the Rami Lavi podcast on next episode. By the way, some baseball news. The Blue Jays signed Chad Green. So yay. Yay, baseball. Baseball's back soon, though. Only, I think, seven days away now from pitchers and catchers. I am excited about that. And then the Major League Baseball season will start. Uh, That is the first sport that I fell in love with. Um, a whole lot to talk about, a whole bunch of other stuff, but obviously we have a bunch of episodes lined up already. So next episode is Super Bowl preview, then Super Bowl recap. Then obviously I told you I have my friends from, uh, Nick's Twitter and we'll talk to him a little bit about the Knicks on the following episode and some NBA storylines there. The NBA trade deadline is tomorrow. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot to recap and talk about there. So stay tuned, stay locked to the podcast as always, please share it, like subscribe if you like it. Um, share it with a friend, all that good stuff. 
I really appreciate the support. I got a random text this week where I was like, hey, keep killing it. You're, it's crazy. I was because I was on the radio a bunch. Um, at a, I was at an event and a few people came over to me and they're like, oh, you're on. We heard you on the radio. And I was like, well, how do you know what I look like? Anyway, not the point. Point is that I appreciate it. Um, and if you share it, it's I'm eternally grateful. So please do. And until next time, which will be in just a couple of days, we'll be talking Super Bowl. Until then, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. Your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it all oh, oh, Always on my road, I'm still New York Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got